0: So search for Rapid Response in your podcast player and subscribe to make sure you get all our episodes. I'll see you on the other side. When I was a kid, the jungle gym was my favorite thing. We used to play jungle gym tag in the morning and my nickname was Monkey because I would just swing and I could catch most anybody. When I go through, the city is my favorite because When you're downtown in any city, there's just so many things to jump on, climb on, swing on. And that's all I think about is like, could I go there? Or could I go there? Could I get over there?
1: That's Terry Brennan. He's a summer camp director and coach at the Philadelphia School of Circus Arts. He also practices and teaches parkour, the sport where practitioners try to reach point A to point B often in urban environments, using creative moves with their body. It's called running a line.
0: The big ones are dash. We talk about vaulting a lot. There's muscle-ups. There's pull-ups. There's laches. There's folds, which is where you swing around a bar completely extended, 360 degrees. There's leaps, bounds, catches. Cause on the bars, there's a lot of like leaping and catching, you know, a Kong vault, a dash vault, a tunnel flip. It's where you're running forward and you jump and you rotate sideways while continuing to travel forward.
1: Terry, as a practitioner of parkour, sees the urban landscape differently than your average city dweller. He doesn't just walk on a sidewalk. He's looking for spots to climb, vault, and swing to. He's looking for creative, fun ways to run a line.
0: I was diving over a giant concrete ledge that was adjacent to the stairs. So I would run, and then I'd get there. I'm like, no, no. No. Because like suddenly, a 10-foot drop onto more concrete is just staring at you, and you're, and you're jumping.
1: With around 20 to 30 people watching in the afternoon sun, Terry bounced out his nerves and imagined what it would be like to take the jump and safely land.
0: And so a lot of that day was managing my own fear about it because there wasn't a mat at the bottom, and I knew I'd be fine, but there isn't the chance that I wouldn't be.
1: Then Terry made the jump.
0: So I jumped feet first, and then I landed, and I did what we call a slap-out, which means that I land, you bend your knees because you have a ton of downward force, and then you put your hands down to pad the landing. But I did land, touch the ground, pop up, and, like, run off. Yeah, that guy have a white baseball cap on. Even though people definitely saw it, and they're like, whoa! They were like, that guy jumped over that railing, and he's gone. So I'm sure that it was quite the spectacle to witness. But in some cases, it really is about being like, can I? And then doing it and being like, yes. Parkour
1: isn't just about looking cool, but finding another way to use the environment and getting from point A to point B. In business, we often need to push ourselves in a new or even unusual direction to reach a goal we not only need a long list of moves to reach that goal, but also the courage to make those moves. You need to jump, roll, pull up, hop, vault, and leap your way into new scale opportunities. That's why I believe you should swing through the jungle gym rather than climb the ladder. Instead of just climbing up towards scaling opportunities, you should jump in unexpected directions.
0: You gotta have incredible talent at every position. It's like this- Huge push. There are fires burning when you're going home. Can you believe it?
1: Such an
2: idiot. And then you go back to this is
3: totally going to be amazing.
1: There are so many easy ways. I have no idea what to do.
3: Sorry, we made a mistake.
1: But you have to time it right. Oops. Working out of a three bedroom
4: apartment. Stuff that just seems absolutely nutballs. Ten years later, I'm like, well, that's just how you do it. We haven't made just how you do it.
1: This is Masters of Scale.
5: Today's Playbook Insight, have multiple plan Bs.
1: I'm Reid Hoffman, co-founder of LinkedIn, partner at Greylock, and your host. And I believe you should swing through the jungle gym rather than climb the ladder. Instead of just climbing up towards scaling opportunities, you should jump in unexpected directions. It's an old saying that you must climb the ladder to succeed. You move upwards, one step at a time. By building on what you achieved and making incremental progress, each rung takes you higher. It's a tried-and-true, repeatable process, one step after another, on the career path and the road to growing a company. But actually, a single-trajectory approach is rarely enough to propel you to scale. Instead, you need to jump from the ladder at key moments and move like you're on a jungle gym. You need to swing Leap, stretch, careen, and hop in all directions. When everyone is zigging, you zag. Jungle gym climbers use networks and adjust to competition, markets, and the evolving tools of their trade. They make unusual but successful alignments. While a ladder only goes up or down, a jungle gym offers multiple directions and possibilities. A jungle gym also gives a climber a sense of play. And the more room for creativity within your business, the better. Ask any kid, what's more fun, a ladder or a jungle gym? What you need to keep in mind though, when you leave the ladder, you need to be intentional with your leaps throughout the jungle gym. The more direction and purpose, the better. I wanted to talk to David Droga about this because as founder of the creative advertising firm Droga5 and now as CEO and creative chairman of Accenture Song, the world's largest digital marketing agency with $16 billion in annual revenue, David has made multiple Jungle Gym moves to scale. In 2006, David founded Droga 5 after building a distinctive reputation for creativity at advertising icons like Saatchi and Saatchi. If you haven't heard of Droga 5, you have likely seen their creations, Super Bowl commercials, campaigns with big names such as rapper Jay-Z and President Barack Obama. In 2019, Accenture acquired Droga 5, where it kept its name and continued to grow with offices around the world. Worldwide, Droga 5 won Agency of the Year more than 25 times, and in 2020 was named Adweek's Agency of the Decade. David built Droga 5 on strategic jungle gym moves, aligning narrative storytelling and creativity with the business world and taking that alignment to scale. David's knack for creativity didn't come out of some program or special training, or even from a big, creative-filled city. Rather, it came from the environment he grew up in.
2: I grew up about as far away from here where I am now in New York, from a geography point of view, and also from an industry point of view, as you could. David grew up inside Australia's
1: Kosciuszko National Park.
2: It was one of the tiny parts of Australia that has mountains with snow. Everyone thinks of Australia with beaches and sharks and crocodiles. Well, there's also a tiny part with snow and wombats and koalas called the Snowy Mountains. One of the great things about was also the contradiction of this mountains was in winter it was a ski resort, so we were kings of the hill as such and would spend our days skiing and out and about. And then in summer it would transfer into sort of this moonscape where there was only two families who lived there it sounds horrendous and desolate but it was actually magical
1: in his childhood landscape david found magic and ways to power his imagination while david's business-minded father ran the ski resort his mother was an artist and a poet and surrounded david and his six siblings with books and art I had a built in
2: group of friends, as such, and playmates. And it was so remote that, you know, apart from being outside all the time, you kind of had to use your imagination very much as a toy chest.
1: Instead of accepting his circumstances, he leapt into what such a place did give him. Through play, the outdoors, and the books and art, he cultivated his own source of entertainment. He developed a set of skills and mindset that would prepare him to make Jungle Jim moves.
2: I didn't know that I was growing up to have a creative career, but I found that relying on my imagination and playing with the world around me, that sort of opened up a whole
1: new category of opportunity for me. At first, David thought he might become a writer or a journalist. Those were what he knew for creative careers.
2: Advertising wasn't even something that I'd registered, particularly as that time that I was growing up in the mountains,
1: because I didn't really watch TV either. But advertising connected the business experience of his father and the creative influence of his mother. Once David was introduced to advertising, he leapt at it. It was very much, oh, here you get paid to
2: solve people's problems and you get to write things all the time as a creative and you get a new challenge every day or every week or every month. And I thought, well, that sounds fun to be able to try and make something creative with a business angle to it. Then I sort of bit the bullet and thought,
1: I applied for a job in the mailroom of an advertising agency. For many, the ladder of going to college is a great choice. But for David, the mailroom offered a peek into the jungle gym world of advertising. As part of his job, David could pop into meetings all over the agency. He saw other creatives work and had informal chats. He was absorbing knowledge and experience of the inner workings of an ad agency at a higher concentration than he would have had at an institution. The mailroom job itself wasn't a jungle gym, but it's how David approached the job and David's mailroom acrobatics paid off. After securing top honors, at a night school for the advertising industry, he landed a job as a junior writer at a local agency. He had a clear career ladder ahead of him, but soon he felt the call. A new agency started in Australia,
2: but it was run by some young, successful people. You know, they were mid-20s. And they asked me to be their first employee. And now this is a time where they didn't have any clients. They didn't even have any furniture in the office. They didn't really seem to have a business plan. They actually offered me like half of my salary of what I was earning as a junior writer anyway, which was next to nothing. And I figured I'm just making enough to get by. Having less than that doesn't make a difference anyway, you know. And I still remember going to saying to my father, and he just couldn't figure it out. He's like, why would you leave a job for less money, less certainty, all of the thing? And I said, because it's about, I want to believe in something. And they have a mission and I believe in the quality of the work and they want to make. And so I did that. And it was one of the best decisions I've ever made because that had such a massive influence for my, the speed of my career and the learning and who I surrounded with.
1: David saw something in the new opportunity. Oman, the new startup, aligned with David's aspirations and desires for what he wanted to make. So he hopped off the ladder. This move would set the tone for David's entire career. He flourished and began to make his name as a writer for advertising. After Oman, David made more dashing jumps. He took a job in Singapore to lead the local agency of Saatchi & Saatchi. Later, at the age of 29, he became executive creative director at Saatchi & Saatchi in London. In 2000, Saatchi & Saatchi was bought by a French company called Publicis. David was soon offered the position at Publicis, worldwide chief creative officer. The position took him to New York City. As David settled into the role, however, he began to feel like a collected trophy when he wanted to be, an active athlete. Instead of being at the top of the ladder, he wanted to be out there playing.
2: Repetition is something that scares me. I'm more scared of repetition than I am of failure. So I felt like from when I was in Asia or when I was in the UK, that if I could see, no matter how much success we'd had, if I could see that I was going to be having the same conversations next year, and then I'm not growing as a person, I'm not contributing, and I'm not challenging myself. So that's why I'd always put myself in a situation to try and up the ante on myself. I'm going to quit the job that no one would quit. You know, I had the global job, you know, that big salary, corner office, all the perks and accoutrements that people aspire, think they want.
1: And I'm like, that doesn't make me happy. The thing about people who climb a jungle gym is that they tend to get bored if they stay in one spot for too long. They need to reach for new sections, test themselves, and welcome unusual climbing challenges. For David he was ready to take the next leap.
2: The only way to really do the work that I genuinely believe needs to happen in our industry is to do it from the start, where you're not inheriting that I can build something and build it with the people I want, with the clients I want, with the work I want. I know what I'm really good at, which is, I think that I'm really good at, is creative from a business perspective, from a marketing, advertising, building brand. So that's why I said, I'm going to start
1: this agency called Droga 5. David took the entrepreneurial leap and started his own company. He did this in part because he missed the joy of creating every day, sitting across the table and solving a problem. To get back to the jungle gym and off the ladder in his corner office, he realized he was already in the advertising capital of the world, New York City. Drogo 5 functioned as a way to get back into the jungle gym. But first, he needed to create his own rope course to reach the clients and opportunities he needed to get started. He was stepping into a completely different environment.
2: The first real space that we rented was down on Broadway by Canal Street. And it was a really long, skinny top floor with complete slanted floors. So any furniture, if you had a chair with wheels on it, you would literally roll down. So you always had to sort of hold your desk a little bit when you were writing or working or hook your leg around it. Everything was pinned up on the walls. It was makeshift, but spectacular. And clients probably felt uncomfortable getting up in a lift that was the size of a coffin. It was just wonderful. As I said, it was a collection of odd balls
1: and odd furniture. Despite their office situation, David felt at home and felt that this was the type of place where he could build his company. The furniture and scrappiness of the place matched the culture David wanted to build. Everything
2: felt like sort of run and gun it. They had a choice to go to some very big corporate headquarters in Madison Avenue, literally, where, you know, good furniture doesn't make for good work or good culture. And they would come down, not that it was dangerous down where we were, but it definitely felt like it was out of their comfort zone. I look back at those offices and as crappy as they were, they're some of the fondest memories I have because every single thing about it was distinctive and important because it was ours. And there was just an energy in that floor from the slanted floors, from the furniture that nothing matching but there was a bravado and a confidence of us presenting what we presented because we weren't trying to think about, well, we have to pay this big lease and pay for big furniture. We're like, we're just going to present what we've got. <laughs> we're going to present what we believe.
1: And I think clients like that. It was one client, fashion designer and graffiti artist, Mark Echo, and the campaign Droga5 created for his brand, Echo Unlimited, that would impress every advertiser who had dared to get on the jungle gym. It would become a cultural phenomena. Because Mark was a graffiti artist and part of his brand was being creative and gritty, David and his team thought of an ultimate location to leave a graffiti tag. What if we could tag one of the most famous planes in the world? We drove
2: past Andrews Air Force Base with cameras hanging out windows to get real security. people. I mean, it was so ridiculous. And people were saying to me, you're insane to do this. And if you do this, you could be breaking
1: the Patriot Act's And I was like, I don't care. We'll be back in a moment after a word from our premier brand partner, Capital One Business.
3: There was panic that set in that night because I didn't want to let people down.
5: We're back with Aparna Seran of Capital One Business. She was recalling the time she woke up in a cold sweat, terrified that the new product she had been working on might fail. So the next morning, she sat down and wrote an email.
3: Sunday morning and I said, you know what, I'm going to just like share this with my peers. It was very emotional. It was like sort of a cry for help.
5: Aparna realized that if the new product didn't take off, she needed a plan B, preferably multiple plan Bs.
3: I'm inviting them to be the thought partners so that we are mitigating as much risk as possible and we have contingency plans in place as we make this move. You'd write something like this and your heart is pounding, should I send this? It was a super vulnerable moment for me. But then I was like, I'm going to just send this. Like, what's the worst that will happen? It can't be worse than being on the front page of the <laughs> newspaper.
5: So she held her breath and hit send. What happened next would surprise even her. We'll hear about that later in the show. It's all part of Capital One Business' Spotlight on Business Leaders, following Reed's Refocus Playbook.
1: We're back with David Droga of Droga 5 and Accenture Song on swinging through the jungle gym rather than climbing the ladder. If you're enjoying this episode, tell your friends to listen too. Just tap the share button on your podcast app. And to hear my complete interview with David, become a Masters Scale member at masterscale.com membership. Or you can join through the Masters of Scale Courses app found in the app store of your choice. There are so many moments we didn't have time for in this episode. More on David's leadership style and nurturing creatives. And you'll hear about the funny origin of where the name Droga 5 came from. Plus, hear how David created an ad campaign for President Barack Obama. You won't want to miss it. Before the break, David told us why, after he'd had a successful advertising career, he decided to start his own independent agency, Droga 5. For one of their early clients, Mark Echo, David got an idea that required getting footage of where Air Force One is stationed. We drove
2: past Andrews Air Force Base with cameras hanging out windows to get real security. People, I mean, it was so ridiculous. And people were saying to me, you're insane to do this. And if you do this, you could
1: be breaking the Patriot Acts. And I was like, I don't care. What led David to do something that might break the Patriot Act? It was rooted in the vision of what David wanted Droga 5 to be as an advertising agency. Part of
2: my MO, what I wanted to build was I wanted to do work where I thought, okay, it's not going to rely on just bombarding people in a submission where we spend money or interrupt them. I want to create work that has a gravitational pull to whatever the intended audience is. We create stuff that's memorable, that's effective, that touches people or connects with people and lots of different
1: categories. And they all do it in different ways. For Droga 5's first major campaign, they would put these theories to the test. For Mark Echo, you know, he was a
2: fashion label based out of New York City and it was very streetwear type of clothing. His backstory and background, it started as a graffiti artist. So I just read some books about graffiti and trying to understand the culture and the dynamics of it. Every so often there's beautiful graffiti where you'll see under bridges or murals or things that are like really hard to get. And they're called heavenly sites. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to create the ultimate heavenly site for him What if I could create something that I knew the news
1: channels would use to try and get viewers to their channel? David didn't want to make an ad. He wanted to create attention and curiosity, which in this case involved finding the ultimate heavenly sight. He wanted that piece of creativity to be something for a specific audience. That meant he needed to make an intentional choice before he jumped across the jungle gym. He wanted to paint graffiti on Air Force One. Although not the real one, they needed a plane to look like Air Force One, and they needed the video to look like it was really at Andrews Air Force Base. We rent a 747, which is not an easy task. We painted it. Along with a set that included a rented and painted 747, David and his team drove past Andrews Air Force Base. They got shots of the highway sign at night, the real fence perimeter. Later, they mixed real footage with their staged footage. We did this whole video,
2: we made it a little long-winded because that's what someone would have done if they'd actually filmed
1: it. Drogo 5 hired an actor to hop a fence and stage a tagging, spray-painting Echo's brand of the not-real Air Force One. They edited the video to make it look like a group of graffiti artists filmed the stunt. Then Drogo 5 released the video online and to news agencies. The final product looked nothing like formulaic, traditional promotion.
2: It just struck at the right time. And when we put it out, we just launched it very stealth-wise on some news channels and some graffiti sites. And it just boomed. It just went so big, so quickly, because everyone wanted to believe it's real. And even friends were sending me notes about it, thinking that it was real, saying, have you seen this video? And that's when I think, this is really interesting, exciting, dangerous, but exciting. And then when the Pentagon had to come out on CNN three times and deny it, I'm like, okay, we're on to something.
1: The video, of course, was a hoax. It was also a different kind of advertisement and strategic branding than anyone had seen before. It just struck a nerve where everyone was, it showed that advertising could be very
2: cultural. It could be reverence. Lots of other brands came to me afterwards saying, can you do that? I'm like, no. Because that's a different audience, a different culture, a different moment in time. We'll do something appropriate for you, but it's not going to be a viral stunt where it has to be a hoax.
1: Drogo 5 was not going to pump out assembly lines of hoax videos, even with the Air Force One success. David wasn't going to follow the typical formula or ladder progression of a branding and advertising strategy. Every client would get something that was appropriate for them and their audience. Some of Drogo 5's other clients would include Microsoft. Kraft Foods, and President Barack Obama. Of course, a jungle gym approach doesn't mean you succeed every time you leap for a new area. Soon after the Mark Echo Project and the establishment of Drogo 5 as a force to reckon with, David tried to create a novel platform, Honey Shed. I thought
2: that I was going to rewire the entire ad industry, which was a thing called Honey Shed, which we called at the time was QVC meets MTV. And the idea was we create an online show where... What is now influencers basically sell products to you and they don't hide the fact it's advertising. You have experts telling you about it. So you have sneakerheads telling you about sneakers. You have girls of all different shapes and sizes telling you what jeans fit. You have gamers talking about gaming. And We had a studio in LA and I got backing for it and all this sort of stuff. And I still, to this day, it was one of the best ideas I ever had, but it was also one of the most flawed executions of anything I did because I built a terrible platform. And so I realized I'd sort of started something that
1: wasn't going to work. When playing in a jungle gym, you sometimes fall when you take a sideways leap. It hurts with lost revenue, time, and resources. For David, honey shed was an experiment that ended in a fall. The trick is when you fall from an experimental move to learn from it, dust yourself off, and get back to traversing. In general, creativity is about taking risks, being willing to leave the ladder. Most high-impact creations depend on this willingness to test a new idea or break the formula. For one example of how an unexpected leap can unlock opportunity, we talked with educator, writer, and designer, Gail Anderson. She was asked to help design a special U.S. postal stamp commemorating the Emancipation Proclamation by one of the postal art directors.
4: The first thing he said was, you can't use words on a stamp. I was like, oh. Okay, what do I do? I'm not an illustrator. I'm a designer and I design, I like to design with words. And, you know, here I am being offered the chance to design the stamp that's commemorating the 150th anniversary of the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation. And this is a big deal. And all I can think of is words that that would be, that's the way to go. And I needed to get that out of my system.
1: With the directive to not use words, on the stamp. Gail quickly did a stamp with words, with little hope the committee would change their minds.
4: The one that I was really excited about was with the words, henceforward, shall be free. And even though, you know, the directive was not to use words, that's the one they went for instantly. And so I was glad I got it out of my system. And I went down to Nashville and we used big old wood type that I hope is powerful. And it feels like a tiny poster. And it's got the year 1863 and Abraham Lincoln. Henceforward shall be free. So it's bold and simple and free is the important word.
1: Despite breaking the rules, the stamp would sell out the 40 million first run, then another 10 million more, which was rare for a limited edition printed stamp.
4: Sort of a dream come true that was just wonderful and is still sort of the Biggest and smallest thing I've ever done.
1: Gail followed her instinct and left the ladder of what she was supposed to do and made her own Jungle Gym decision. It's a lesson not only artists and creators can learn, but also companies. When it came to working with clients, Droga 5 was at home in their Jungle Gym. They leapt, swung, and vaulted high and above the competition, towering over the playground. Droga 5's work collected the Agency of the Year award multiple times and later won Adweek's Agency of the Decade. Nearly every year, Drogo 5 increased their revenue and staff, and more importantly, they influenced not only the advertising industry, but also many cultural moments.
2: It wasn't a one-note agency. And I used to always say, every client walked in the door because of our work, because of our creative work, but they hired us because of our strategic thinking.
1: Take the strategy with hip-hop legend Jay-Z for the launch of his autobiography. Instead of just promoting his book with traditional ads, they made a jungle gym move. Drogo 5 pasted words from the book in locations linked and inspired by the text. From the pool bottom at a Miami hotel to the hood of a Cadillac, Drogo 5 posted the pages across cities around the world. To find these, you'd search for these locations in a type of scavenger hunt using the Bing search engine, which also engaged another one of Drogo 5's clients, Microsoft.
0: We
2: thought, what's the ultimate way, Jay-Z way to launch a book, which is actually, I'm going to give you all the content anyway, and you're still going to buy the book.
1: Besides hip hop moguls, Droga5 also worked with institutions during inflection points in the market and culture. At a time when its journalism was under fire and given the label Fake News, the New York Times hired Droga5 to help resist this label. David also wanted to convince consumers that news was worth paying for. Especially when there was free content elsewhere online. We just wanted people to understand and
2: really appreciate what goes into real news. It wasn't just for the New York Times, it was for real journalism as well. Our thing was the truth is worth it, was the sort of the banner that we sort of built this entire campaign around. The journalists out there and photographers and all that that are really risking their lives and limbs and all that to get to the truth and understand the story of that. You know, people started to end up buying t shirts with our manifestos we'd written on their behalf, which is, you know, that's when you, you realize it's more than
1: just about selling newspapers. It's sort of standing up for something. It wasn't just his approach to clients where David practiced leaving the ladder for the jungle gym. David took the same approach when it came to Droga 5's business. He wanted to do something different than most agencies whose aspiration was to become part of one of the mega holding companies that dominated the ad industry. I had no interest in us selling to a holding company,
2: like- Since almost day one, all the holding companies had tried to buy us, and I was like, I have no interest, because all you want to do is collect us, roll us up, and just, you know, mitigate anything interesting about us.
1: Then Ari Emanuel, Hollywood Power Player, and co-CEO William Morris Endeavor, WME, one of the entertainment's world-leading talent agencies, asked David to dinner to see about a potential deal with Droga 5. And I remember thinking, I had no interest in doing a deal, I didn't even know what he was going to propose. Droga 5 represented clients like Coca-Cola, Prudential, and Spotify. WME represented talent like Lady Gaga and Oprah Winfrey. Ari was interested in combining the resources between the advertising and the entertainment world. He's so
2: transparently ambitious and bullish that I found that actually really refreshing. Right from the get, he's like, we need to buy you, da-da-da. I was like, I don't want for sale. I don't want to sell, da-da-da. But just the idea of potentially doing a collaboration or a partnership I thought was really interesting because Hollywood... Does touch or that we sort of rub up against to pretend to touch but don't really, television, theater, books, literature, music, all that sort of stuff. And the more I thought about it, I thought actually we could blow our whole industry up and change the dimension of it, and we could change the face of
1: what advertising is. Instead of making a conventional move of selling to a larger holding company, David made the jungle gym move and partnered with an agency that had similar creative goals. WME were similar jungle gymnasts and David thought they could conquer the playground better together. In 2013, David sold minority shares to William Morris Endeavor and started a collaboration of content deals between the two businesses.
2: It freaked our industry out because they were like, "Druga Five is prepared to make alliances that we would never consider. And it suddenly opened up the potentials of what could happen because I still really believe in creativity being asserted in different places. And why should we sit in a shrinking iceberg when
1: we can make camps other places? As David says, you don't know when markets or environments might shrink or shift. You have to be willing to jump sideways or vault into the unknown. This is not just for career changes, but it is also for companies looking for partnerships, mergers, or acquisitions. For David and Ari, this partnership paid off.
2: I know for a fact we're one of the best deals he's ever done. You know, I'd get that once a week rolling phone call that he does, and I'd be always like, nope, don't need anything from you, don't need a talk. They're a phenomenal company and do phenomenal things. You know, I made him hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. So, um, you know, he should definitely uh, send me a, a
1: Hanukkah card. A few years into the partnership, after WME became Endeavor, Ari and his co-CEO, Patrick Whitesell, tried to buy the rest of Droga 5. David wasn't certain this was the right direction.
2: It was a strong partnership. And, you know, we both brought our superpowers to the table. But we just sort of did different things. And I think that they were looking to go public and they had, even though they had a minority stake in us, they had an option to buy the rest of us if they went public in a certain amount of time, which they didn't do. But I guess I realized as a partnership went on that there is more divide between our industries than we work at different paces and different speeds, not a better or worse. And I felt like there was too much short-term which is the nature of entertainment a lot. And I think a lot of our clients wanted a little bit more long-term strategy.
1: Around the same time, Droga 5 experienced its first round of layoffs, a relatively small setback after constant, steady growth throughout the agency's history. But it was a gut check for David. David also wanted to create something more secure as he thought about Droga 5's next phase of growth. And that's why we probably started looking
2: at different partnerships and collaborations. Nari's made, and Patrick have made some great, acquisitions, but, it, you know, it wasn't as consistent and there wasn't as much clarity for us, how we fit in there. I could understand on paper and academically the role we would play, but I didn't feel that we would have the agency as such to be pushing and leading where we would go. And, you know, and I say this half in and half serious. It's like, you know, Ari could have turned around tomorrow and said, you know, we're going to invest in buying a casino and I need a little bit more alignment
1: for us. Despite the enormous success with WME, now Endeavor, and opening up the possibilities of the industry, David knew that there were limits. He needed to hop to a new part of the jungle gym or create his own. To do that, he looked towards a partnership that started a few years prior. Accenture asked if we would pitch with them, Accenture Interactive.
2: And I had to be schooled on what Accenture Interactive was and what they did and all that sort of stuff. I know sort of a digital marketing consumer company. And we decided to do a joint pitch together for the census. And again, no interest in this is going to lead to a deal. We were just going to pitch for this $500 million account together. And I remember being actually blown away because it suddenly made me realize like they could actually roll things out and they could capture things and amplify things from a technology point of view, from a systems thing, and from a data perspective that I had never seen before. And then they proposed buying us. And again, I was like, no, that's great. I love working with you, but we're fiercely independent And it took like two or three years for us to do the deal because, you know, we weren't in a rush to do it. They were not in a rush to do it, which makes for a great partnership because there isn't a vulnerable partner in the thing. And again, I just thought it's where the industry is going. Every company is a digital company now. They have absolute, as I said, the deepest, most robust
1: digital capabilities of anybody. In Accenture, David saw something he couldn't resist, a company It could amplify Droga5's capabilities from a technology and data perspective. This was David finding an entirely new, more robust, and complex jungle gym. David sold Droga5 to Accenture in 2019. They kept their name and independence under Accenture Interactive. David stayed on as Droga5's creative chairman. David made a strategic move to reposition his agency for a new environment. He saw a future coming, and with Accenture, a potential partner, that had a foundation for growth for years to come. It became a way for Droga 5 to evolve into that future. Remember, jungle gym moves are often ways of adapting to changing environments in markets, technology, and tools. So we'd moved a lot of people up into
2: higher positions within Droga 5. Some had moved into Accenture as well. So I felt like I was sort of laying this marriage together very well. And I'd convinced myself that I was gonna retire, to be honest. I thought that I'd ticked every single box that I wanted to tick in the industry that I was in. So that, in my head, I'd sort of felt like I'd been honorable to all parties in this one. To the people at Droga 5, to Accenture with the deal.
1: Thinking he would end his jungle gym days and retire, David then went to lunch with Accenture's CEO, Julie Sweet.
2: So when I went to lunch with Julie, she's a force, I mean, she's intense. Super intelligent. I've never, I've never met anyone who worked harder than Julian. And all I was thinking was, oh, maybe they're worried that my earnout is over and all this sort of stuff. That they're going to try and lock me down. And my, I remember leaving. My wife's like, "Don't you agree to anything?" I'm like, "No, it's just going to be a lovely lunch. You know, I like Julian. We're going to have some great chat, and I'll sort of give us some honest point of view about what I think's going." And it was that classic thing: two minutes of genuine small talk, and then she cut straight to the chase again i like people who to the chase and she just said look i really want you to be the ceo of what was called accenture interactive and i was like what? <laughs> what
1: instead of david's retiring accenture wanted to bring david into a higher leadership role as ceo of accenture interactive which oversaw multiple ad agencies and marketing firms thousands of employees had billions of dollars of revenue and worked in countries across the globe
2: And I honestly was sort of taken aback. So I spent maybe two minutes trying to talk her out of that because I kept on thinking, does she really know what it means to put a creative person in that chair? Kept on saying, like, I'm not the operations person that you think I am. I'm not that linear thinker. I'm not. But I was thinking, well, you know what? She's right, though. That creative person has to occupy that chair. It is weird to sort of suddenly, you know, I, I climbed the corporate ladder or jungle gym, escaped that to open my own playgrounds, which, you know, achieved more than I deserve. And then I threw myself back into an even more corporate thing. It's just kind of a strange,
1: funny thing. Despite it feeling strange for David, the Accenture job was a place where he could oversee more playgrounds. He had more slides, ropes, alleys, bars, and poles to swing from than he ever had before. This was the ultimate jungle gym, and he was in the ultimate position to help build something new.
2: I think I really wanted to flee the corporate world as a creative when I was going up, because creatives never had the influence or power that I thought they deserved within the industry. You know, they were sort of collected like mascots or, you know, wrapping paper. They were never making decisions that would actually affect the business. They were sort of brought in as to be a celebrated star and told to do great things, but they could never actually influence and architect the business. So this was a chance, I think, where I was like, okay, Hmm. There's some delicious irony in actually, as a creative person being inserted right to the
1: top. David, of course, knew he was one CEO inside of a massive public company with many CEOs. But this was his chance to use his creative mindset and experience to build something original. Soon, he would rename this massive jungle gym. In 2021, he rebranded Accenture Interactive to Accenture Song.
2: So instead of Drogify being the tail that wagged the dog why not walk the whole dog? You know what I
1: mean? And it just struck me that I should definitely try it. Taking a leap isn't just its own reward, although it can be a rush that puts a smile on your face. Rather, by jumping through the jungle gym, you can unlock new routes to scale and discover the unexpected opportunities that are closer to your grasp than you imagine. I'm Reid Hoffman. Thanks for listening. And now, a final word from our brand partner, Capital One Business.
5: For more resources to help drive your business forward, visit CapitalOne.com slash Business Hub. That's CapitalOne.com slash Business Hub.
1: Masters of Scale is a Weight White original. Our executive producers are June Cohen, Darren Triff, and Jordan McLeod. Our chief content officer and interim president is Lori Hoffman. Our producers are Adam Skuse, Catherine Carcray, Alex Morris, Tucker Lagierski, Chris Gautier, and Masha Makutonina our editor at large is Bob Safian our music director is Ryan Holiday original music and sound design by Nate Kinsella and Eduardo Rivera audio editing by Keith J. Nelson Stephen Davies Stephen Wells and Andrew Nolt. mixing and mastering by Brian Pugh and Aaron Bastinelli special thanks to Chris Shea Elisa Schreiber Harry Finger Saida Sapieva Greg Beato Jodine Dorsey Emily McManus Adam Heiner Alfonso Bravo, Colin Howarth, Tim Cronin, Kelsey Capitano, Sammy Oputa, Anna Pizzino, Sarah Tarter, Luisa Vales, Justin Winslow, Nikki Williams, Janeme Ezequena, Mario Carecker, and Katie Blazing. Become a member of Masters of Scale to get access to a year's worth of courses and content on the Masters of Scale Courses app. Find out more at masterscalecom membership.